The title of this morning's message is The Divine Deliberation in reference to the creation of mankind. The Divine Deliberation. Uh, We'll speak more to that title as we work our way through our text this morning. But here we are on uh, the sixth day of creation, wrapping up Genesis chapter number one. Uh, Again, it seems maybe uh, like it's been a while working our way through Genesis 1, but as we have uh, said multiple times, these foundational truths in chapter 1 and chapter number 2 and even going into chapter 3, it's going to do us well to take our time going through these first few chapters to make sure we understand these themes and these purposes, we understand the character and nature of God, much doctrine that we've had to work through, and so I pray that you'll Continue with us as we uh, work our way through Genesis. And over the past few weeks, uh, we've had these topics of the creation account, right? Uh, Day number one, we saw that God created light. Day number two, we saw the sky and the sea. Day number three, we saw the dry ground and plants. Day four, the sun, moon, and stars. Day five, birds and sea animals. And day number six is... Andy kicked off last week the land animals, and then today we're going to see the creation of humanity, mankind. Then obviously next week, Dave will bring us into the day of of rest. And so familiar topics, right? I I see a lot of kids out here this morning, and uh, many of you are learning these truths right now, whether it be in um, our children's hour during our application implementation time, whether that be through Awana, whether that be uh, through times with your parents and the Word at home. Uh, we are very familiar with this creation account, and it's easy for us in the familiarity to just say, yeah, 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 God created all things, six, six seven literal days, let's move on uh, to the rest of the book, the rest of the narrative. But there is so much for us to glean and to learn and for us to be reminded of in light of a culture who is uh, just really reeling in stark contrast to this message that God is the ultimate authority in this world and that He alone is the Creator and everything else is the creation. And as a result, the creation is what? To be in submission to that authority. It also reminds me, as we look into the Word of God, that Andy has talked about the implications of these truths on our own lives. The implications of what? That God is the creator, that he is sovereign, that he is Lord, and that he alone is eternal. That should have real implications on our life. And the question that I have for us this morning as believers is this. Has it had implications on your life? Or have we grown cold and and dim to these realities, that we, as a result of growing cold and dim to these realities, have placed ourselves as a sovereign authority over our own life. When circumstances aren't favorable, what do we do? We question, we doubt, and we fear, as opposed to looking to a God who we can trust and who does love us and tells us to be anxious for nothing. But by prayer and supplication, let our requests be known to God. It reminds me that there is true power in the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, All Scripture is breathed out by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete and equipped 
for every good work. If there's ever a time for God's people to be equipped with the creation account of seven literal days and to be equipped with the reality that we serve a God that is sovereign and Lord over all, it is now. So I pray that you will lean into this study with anticipation and that you would cause the familiarity of it uh, to just fall along the wayside and just to dive into this and say, God, what would you have me to know about yourself? And as a result, what can I learn new about myself and how I am to relate and to live in this world that you have placed us? So I trust as we have worked through these foundational passages and covered these first five days of creation, that you have come away with a greater knowledge, again, of who God is. Can you echo the testimony of Isaiah, the prophet, in chapter 45, verse number 18? He says, For thus says the Lord who created the heavens, He is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it. He did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited The prophet Isaiah says this about God. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no other. If we come away from this first chapter of Genesis when any other conclusive statement other than I am the Lord and there is no other, then we simply aren't reading the word as we should. He is the creator. And all that is in this cosmos that we've learned about over the last few weeks is His creation, including who? Mankind. All of this was done for the purpose of what? To bring Him glory. To bring Him glory. So friends, this morning we will continue our study through this book of beginnings And we'll wrap up chapter number one. In doing so, my prayer is that we'll see God, ourselves, and this world in a new light as a result of considering the truths of Scripture this morning. You know, I found it interesting as I was working backwards and just reminding myself of the context, looking through the different messages that have been preached and just bringing it all together as we wrap up chapter number one. There was a phrase that I was reminded that is repeated nine times here in this first chapter. And the phrase, I think, is very significant. There's a lot of phrases that are repeated here, so I'm not trying to trick you here, but there's one that stood out to me specifically in chapter number one. And the phrase is this, and God said. And God said. We see this in verse number three. Verse number 6, 9, 11, 14, 20. Verse number 24, 26, and 29. This word which God speaks, what does it do in chapter number 1? It creates. God has spoken, and His spoken word, it creates. It baraz, as Andy has taught us over the last few weeks. The spoken word of God has great power to create something out of nothing. And not just create something, but to create something in the very image and likeness of the one who is doing the creating. This is a beautiful thing that we're going to learn this morning. The creative power of God's word will go on to be the central theme, a central theme in truth throughout the whole of scriptures. God's word has great power. Do you believe that? 
So friends, my point in saying this by way of introduction is to remind us that the Word of God is alive. The same God that has majestically and magnificently spoken the entire cosmos into existence has spoken directly to us through the Word right here that we have in our hands today. That's incredible. He's spoken to us through His Word, through His Spirit, and through the testimony of all His creation as we've learned about in Psalm number 19. He's crying out to us this morning. There is a God. And he's saying, I am he. I have created you in my very image. And I have a plan and purpose for you. I love you and I desire to be in relationship with you this morning. This is what God is telling us in Genesis chapter number one. So do you believe that? I loved Andy's testimony in introducing the song and that chorus when we feel like we are surrounded by the enemy, when we feel like we're surrounded by circumstances and struggles and difficulties, do we remember that we have the God of all creation on our side? That through the Holy Spirit of God, the paraclete, the comforter, the counselor, the Spirit of Christ is at work in our hearts and our lives. And He comes to our aid to minister to us in our time of need. This is the God that we are learning about here in Genesis chapter number one. And friends, is this not the beginning of God's redemptive plan unfolding in the earliest accounts of the history of mankind? God intimately involved in his creation. Is that not where redemption starts? A relationship? God created mankind to what? Be in relationship with them. To know them. And to care for them. As Psalm 100 spoke of this morning, we are the sheep of his pasture. He is our father. And we can run to him this morning and cry, Abba. Why? Because he created us. And he desires to be in relationship with his creation. So this is God's redemptive plan unfolding. God intimately involved in his creation, not as some distant divine concept, but rather as a father who refused to leave his creation without hope. Even despite this plague of sin that we're going to hear about in a few chapters, it's going it's to come quickly and it's going to be a big problem. But guess what? God loves us enough to not leave us without hope. He sends his son, Jesus, and we have the rest of the story because we have the whole of Scripture, aren't you thankful for it this morning? So with that said, our big idea this morning is this from our text. Because God has created mankind in His own image, we, His people, are uniquely positioned to maximize His glory, that's the purpose of our existence, by operating within and stewarding His creation as He purposed. Let me say that one more time. Because God created mankind in His own image, we are uniquely positioned to maximize His glory by operating within and stewarding His creation as He purposed. This final day in the creation week is by far the most significant of these first few days. 
More space, more detail, more information is given to its creative events than to the previous five days. As with the third day, there's a pattern there. There are two creative acts on this final day. The land animals that Andy talked about in verses 24 and 25. And then we have the creation of mankind in verses 26 through 28. Verses 29 and 30, they're going to give us uh, the provisions that God has given mankind that will sustain his creation for generations to come. Then finally, in verse number 31, God will provide his final evaluation as he is at the conclusion of this final day and he'll make a statement, the same statement that he's made at the end of each day, but with a new and unique qualifier. God proclaims that his creation was very good. We're going to look at just two basic points directly from our text this morning. The first point is going to be this. God creates mankind in a manner that is distinct from the rest of his creation. The second point that we'll look at this morning will be God provides a purpose for mankind that is distinct from the rest of creation. So that first point, God creates mankind in a manner that is distinct from the rest of creation. Let's look at our text this morning. We'll read it and we'll dive into our explanation. Verse number 26. Then God said, let us make Man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. Verse 28, and God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth, to every bird of the heavens, to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw everything that he made and behold, it was very good. And there was evening and there was morning the sixth day. Many have described verses 26 and 27 as the crown of God's handiwork. The crown of God's handiwork. And rightfully so. God truly has created mankind in what a manner that is unique and distinct from the rest of his creation. And we're going to look at that this morning. We see this statement directly supported in our text by the use of the phrase right here in verse number 26. Then God said, let us make. All right, let's dive into that three-word phrase right there. It's important to note that in the previous days of creation, God simply said what? Let there be. Introducing that day of creation, God simply opened with this phrase, let there be. Here in relation to the creation of mankind, God said something unique. He said what? Let us make. So let's just take a few moments to break down Those three very pivotal words to help us understand this first point of God creating mankind in a manner that is distinct 
from the rest of creation. First, let's look at that first word, let. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that word, let. But I want us to make sure we understand the implications of that word, let. Let is simply a word that in many times is used to introduce or point our attention to a statement that will follow that is a statement of what? Agreement. Let involves a coming together, a deliberation that is going to be in agreement and in unity. So this first word, let, is simply that. It's laying the foundation of unity and agreement. The second word is what? Us. This word is an incredible word for us that we see here, right here in Genesis chapter number one. I will say that this small little word, this plural pronoun, carries with it a lot of interpretive challenge, surprisingly. Let us make. Who is this plural pronoun referring to is the question of our interpretive challenge. But at the beginning stages of our introduction to this book, how did we say we were going to approach the book of Genesis? We were going to approach it from a literal, a grammatical, and a historical hermeneutic, which again is simply an interpretive model. A literal and a grammatical approach. We have a plural pronoun, and we have a context, and we have an action verb. The action verb we know make and create is referring to who? God. And so the plural pronoun preceding this action verb should be understood as referring to who? God. Right? God. There's all kinds of other positions that can be layered into this. We're not going to spend a lot of time because we have a lot of text to work through this morning. But we're going to hold the position here that the let us, this plural pronoun, is going to refer to God. And it gives us a very unique aspect and understanding of this God that we serve. This God is referenced here in a plural pronoun. A plural Godhead. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit are to be understood as active participants in this creation account. God the Father Father did not go rogue and decide, hey, you know what? I'm going to go create the cosmos, all things, create earth, Fashion man in my likeness, God the Father, in my image, God the Father. But rather, it was this triune, unified Godhead that came together in agreement and unity and made forth a plan to do what? Not just create the cosmos, not just create the universe, not just create plants and animals that are after and according to their own kind, but rather, this triune God chose in agreement and in unity to create something special and unique. And it was mankind. Let us make. So how are we to understand this idea of the Trinity here in verse number 26? Some of you may have heard the phrase in trying to describe the Trinity, one in essence, three in what? Person. Right? That's what we mean when we're talking about God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Those are the three persons of the Godhead who are one in essence. I find this statement and this description really helpful. 
I feel like it's the most concise and direct definition of the doctrine of Trinity that, that man could put into our finite understanding of Scripture. R.C. Sproul, a great theologian, pastor, elder, states concerning the Trinity, our Christian faith is not polytheistic, confessing many individual gods, each with its own peculiar divine nature. Our Christian faith is not Unitarian, confessing that one divine nature is possessed only by a single person or a single acting subject. He goes on to say, instead, the Christian faith, our faith, says that three distinct persons are the one divine nature in its entirety. The Father possesses all that makes God who He is. The Son possesses all that makes God who He is. And the Spirit possesses all that makes God who He is. This would be a very important aspect for these original readers and for the people of that day and culture who were in large part in a polytheistic worship of God's, for them to understand God in this way, in this unique way. We do not worship three gods, each of whom has his own power, his own intelligence, and so on. Instead, we worship three persons who hold in common the same power, the same intelligence, and are the same God. So we have, let us Make. Andy has rightly drawn our attention to the unique aspects of the word create in chapter one. And here we have a new word that is used to once again make his point that God has uniquely set us apart in the making and the creation of mankind from the rest of his creation. So the Hebrew word here is not bara, but rather it is asa. Bara was this word for create. saw is this word for make. This, this Hebrew word make has this idea of fashioning, to bring about, to be produced, to put into order. So we see in this first verse of, of verse number 26, this divine, what we'll call deliberation. That was the title of our message concerning the making of mankind. Verse 26 will go on. Let's read it. It says, And God said, Let us make man in what? Our image and after our likeness. So God, one in essence, right? Three persons have come together to create and to make man, to fashion man. How? In our image and after our likeness. So the question for me that naturally arises from those two three-word phrases is to what degree is man made in the likeness and image of God? And I go back again to our interpretive model to anchor us because there have been many obscure and misguided interpretations and positions that have been held as a result of people reading into Jesus this text of mankind being made in the likeness and image of God. As you can imagine, do I have the opportunity to attain deity? Do I truly have a divine spark? And so we believe in universalism that, hey, because we're creating the image and likeness of God, that love wins and we're all going to end up in heaven someday? Friends, these are the implications, the downstream impact of not getting right the book of Genesis. Completely, horribly misguided and misfounded doctrinal truths that have been propagated as a result of not understanding 
this aspect correctly and rightly. So again, the question that arises, to what extent is mankind to be made in the image and likeness of God? Let's answer that question. Mankind is what? Still a creation. And God is still the only what? Creator. Although God in His perfect plan and sovereignty has made mankind in a manner that is distinct from the rest of its creation, it does not elevate mankind to a state of deity. You and I are still what? Finite. Our bodies and our existence on this earth is still what? Temporal. Only God in His existence has always been eternal. The same yesterday, today, and forever. You and I are still limited, but God is what? Limitless. You and I are still dependent on God and His grace and His mercy and His provision. And God is and can be independent from all of those things. This is a divine difference between God the Creator and mankind the creation. So what is meant then by our being created and made in the image and likeness of God. To understand this, let's jump back to verses 20 through 25. Follow with me as I read. And God said, let the waters swarm with swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creatures that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds. And every winged bird according to its kinds. And God saw that it was good. And God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters in the seas and let the birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and there was morning the fifth day. And God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds. Livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beast of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was what? It was good. Ten times we see in this passage here this phrase according to its kind. Andy has spoken to the structure and the grouping that God has perfectly designed from a scientific perspective. But God did not primarily intend for verses 20 through 24 to be understood in light of a scientific perspective. He did so to highlight the difference and the uniqueness and distinctness of mankind from the rest of creation. We don't see this phrase after the creation of mankind according to its kind. We see a break in this pattern. For mankind is creating the image and the likeness of who? Of God. For all the similarities that will exist between the beast of the field and the creatures of the sea and mankind, there is a distinct difference that God has created mankind and the likeness and image of Himself. There are plenty of biological similarities that we could speak to. But mankind stands alone as the Imago Dei, the image bearer of God. 
So what do the words image and likeness actually mean? These words in the Hebrew are essentially synonyms for each other. They have the idea of a, what, a shadow, right? It's not the actual thing, but a shadow, what? It casts a, a, a picture of who God is and how he operates in his character and his nature and his personhood. So mankind made in the likeness and image of God it stands alone in creation as a shadow of God himself. Allowing us in understanding who we are to relate to this God, our Father, in very unique and special ways. So image and likeness has the idea of the shadow. This leads us to our second and final point this morning. God provides a purpose for mankind that is distinct from the rest of creation. So we are a shadow of God in the sense that he has endowed us with what? A sense of sovereignty over his creation. He endowed us with the sense of, of sovereignty over his creation. Let's continue to read in verse number 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have what dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and what? Subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth. And so we have this idea of sovereignty. He has given us the commission and a purpose to subdue, to have dominion over it, and to be active participants in what? The multiplication of his image bearers on his earth. Friends, these purposes that I just described are uniquely given to no other person or aspect of his creation than who? Mankind. So there is a, God provides a purpose for mankind that is distinct from the rest of creation. It's important for us to note that what God initiates, what he begins, mankind has been uniquely equipped and entrusted to steward and sustain for future generations. Friends, this is, as we understand that we are created for His glory, the question that should come to our mind is, how can I maximize that glory in this world? If that's what I'm created for, that is my purpose. That God specifically created me so that I could give Him glory. Let your light so, so shine, Matthew 5.16 says, that, you may, that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. It is why we exist. And if it's why we exist, again, the question we have to ask is, how do we do that? Friends, we maximize the glory of God in this earth when we are actively engaged in His purposes. Not the purposes that we think they should be. Not the purposes that we want them to be, but rather when we are actively engaged in His purposes. And in Genesis chapter 1, His purposes are clear. He's called us to do what? To be fruitful and multiply. To subdue the earth and have dominion over it. 
to be good stewards of this creation that God has given us. I'll often joke with my wife that this is my justification for my slightly obsessive behavior in relation to the care of my lawn and landscape. I am subduing my little piece of ground on this earth. I'm having dominion, sovereign dominion over my little piece of ground on this earth. All joking aside, I think God is pleased when His people are good caretakers of this world. As much as we want to maybe cast stones at the tree huggers and uh, whatever we want to call them, we should be the greatest and most intense stewards of this world that God has placed us in. His people should be. So that means when there's a city ordinance for separating the trash from the recyclables, what should God's people do? <laughs> I'm not advocating for stark and, and strict uh, recycling habits this morning. But all joking aside, what I'm saying is we need to be good stewards of it. And the testimony of His people should be what? That we care for His creation. We care for His creation. So verse 27, God creates or barrages three times. Let's read verse number 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. So the triune Godhead has deliberated, has come together in unity and agreement. And they have created mankind distinct from the rest of creation in the image and likeness of God himself. Verse 27 is kind of a repackaging and a repurposing of the truths of verse number 26. But he throws in a clarifier here, an aspect that is important to note that isn't necessarily unique from the rest of creation, the beast of the field and the creatures in the sea or the birds in the air. He's created what male and female. This is important for us to note here in Genesis chapter 1 that we see gender as a part of God's specific design in this world for His creation, mankind. It is how, male and female, we are to live out one of these specific purposes to what? Be fruitful and multiply. And so friends, this is a difficult one in our day and age that we live, but it's important for us to be firm in our belief God has given a sovereign conclusion, a finality to gender. There's no transitional gender. There is nothing in between. There's nothing more or less. There is male and there is female. Thus says the Lord. Amen? Obviously, those are difficult waters to navigate in our day, right? Um, there are genetic mutations that exist in the very small minority of cases. There are uh, challenging topics that we have to be able to address and talk through. But at the end of the day, it has to be approached, what? From this foundational truth from Scripture that God created man and woman, male and female, and it is part of His perfect design and plan. 
So the Godhead in perfect unity and agreement has made mankind in the image and likeness of himself. As a result, God has given them a purpose and a role unlike the rest of creation. Okay, so let's just pause and just stop and think about that. Um, In the craziness of life, the world, your schedule, how often do you stop, pause, and consider that God has uniquely created you apart from all other creation? Think about all of the cosmos, the universe, the stars, the planets, the laws of gravity, the laws of nature, everything that God established to sustain and hold his creation together so that it can function to maximize his glory across all of that, that God created you, his image bearer, mankind, with a unique and special purpose that no other aspect of creation could ever fulfill. You, that's, that's you and me. God has a specific purpose, a unique and special purpose to do what? Be fruitful, multiply, to subdue and have dominion over it. And it does bring maximum glory to God when we engage into those purposes. God has that kind of thought and attention towards you. He wants to maximize his glory through your life through your circumstances, through your context that you find yourself in today. And he does that only when we engage in his purposes. Let me ask you a question. Does that type of purpose and intentionality of God towards his most special creation, mankind, does that sound like a, like a divine watchmaker who just kind of put all the pieces together and just kind of spun it up and... Just let it go. Does that sound like some toy, divine toy top spinner who just spun it all in motion or used some type of process of evolution? Does this sound like a matter of chance or happenstance for the beginning of mankind? No, it sounds like a sovereign God who is intimately engaged with his creation for a very specific purpose, namely, again, to state it one more time this morning, his own glory. This brings us to the closing verses of chapter number one. Let's look at verses 29 to 30. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of all the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And it was so. I I love these couple verses here, 29 and 30, because I think it gives us a neat glimpse into the character and nature of a God that is concerned with the provision of his most precious creation, mankind. So not only did he make them in his image and likeness distinct from the rest of creation. Not only did he give this creation a specific purpose that is distinct from all other creation, but he also gives them provision to sustain life and to flourish, to maximize his glory for future generations. This is the God that we serve, a God of provision. I'm not reading that in here, friends. He gives the specific details of creation that of all the universe on earth where he decided to put his creation, mankind, he allowed it to have green leaves. I'm so excited about those. But he gave us animals and, and vegetables 
and, and leafy things for us to do what? To eat, to consume, and to sustain life. That's incredible. I don't know if, if you're as wowed by that as I am. Maybe because we go to the grocery store and we can pick up, you know, all the food that we could ever want in America, but the fact that God has given us on this earth the ability to sustain life through His provision and His creation is incredible. And not only did He provide it for us, but it's good. It's like our enjoyment. Do you guys like to eat? Life's like, obviously, one of my favorite things to do, right? I need to do less of that these days. But eating is fun. It is enjoyable. And it is part of God's pleasure for His creation for us to enjoy. God thought of us in that specific and unique way. We are the people of His pasture. Created in His image and His likeness. And He desires And has provided for our deepest needs. Friends, I would like to remind us this morning that we will see in very unique ways, even in future chapters, that God truly is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord truly is a God that will provide. Once again, we look at the order, the purpose, the connected dots of all creation. They all come together so that mankind can sustain and flourish in this divine purposes that God has given us to subdue, to establish dominion, and to be fruitful and multiply. Wow. The themes of worship, the songs that we have sung, the scriptures that we have meditated on this morning, the word that has been preached. This is the God that has created us and is crying out, I desire to be in relationship with you. And although sin has broken that relationship with you, I've given you my son Jesus. And he's come to this earth. He's lived a perfect life. He's went to a cross. He shed his blood as the perfect lamb. And because of his shed blood, he defeated sin, death, and hell. There's an empty tomb and that relationship can be restored because God loves us that much. He desires to be in his in relationship with his creation that much. I couldn't help but as I was working through this and thinking of God's provision and looking at verses 29 and 30 and just thinking about man, just Easter Sunday and all those wonderful family meals and you know, already hungry, I'm sure you all are thinking of what you're going to eat this afternoon. Are you just thankful for his provision? Every day, right? We, we woke up this morning. You've got clothes on your back. You've got probably food in your belly this morning from, from breakfast. And you've got shelter uh, to sustain your list. This is God. He's, he cares for us. Matthew 6 tells us, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. That he created, they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father does what he feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? That is the message of Genesis 1, 26-31. Are you not more valuable than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to the span of his life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory 
was not arrayed like one of these. The beauty, the simple beauty of a flower. God has clothed the lilies and his creation with that type of care and beauty. Andy showed the pictures of the sea creatures and the birds, incredible colors and vibrancy. This is the creative spoken word and power of God. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles even seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient is the day. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Friends, if there's a takeaway this morning, it's this. We surely can trust a God who has done all this to care for our needs today. We can take that truth, that reality, we can take it to the bank and we can count on it 100% of the time. He will never fail us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. No man can pluck us out of, our, out of his hand. And greater is he that is us than he that is in the world. This is how God has provided for his people. Let those realities, let those truths be the balm of Gilead that ministers to your soul this morning. As Andy described this morning, do you come to church to worship this morning with the gathered body? Do you come troubled over circumstances? Do you come troubled over a relationship, a trial, an issue at, at a job, a fear, an uncertainty? Has disappointment, discouragement, confusion, chaos, has it turned to anger and bitterness and dismay? The message of Genesis this morning is this, that God knows and he is able in his perfect way and perfect timing to use you and even those difficult circumstances for his glory. Why, why can I say that so confidently? Why could Andy speak to that testimony this morning leading worship? Because his inspired and inerrant word right here that we have in our hand, guess what? It says that's what we were created for, his glory. Look at verse number 31. And we'll be done this morning. Verse 31 says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning the sixth day. On top of all that, God describes his creation, mankind, that has been made in the image and likeness of himself. He describes that work not just as good as he has done on the previous days of creation, but he described it as what? Very good. Not simply good, but in the Hebrew, it would carry the idea of what? Exceedingly good. God called this creation of mankind on the sixth day. Are you there? Come there with me. God surveying his entire creation, all the cosmos, and seeing his crowned creation, mankind, he proclaims it. He proclaims it that is very good. Why? Because it's in his image. 
created unique and distinct from all other creation, given purposes that are unique and distinct from the rest of creation, to be fruitful and to multiply, to subdue and have dominion over it, and ultimately to allow God to get maximum glory in and through our lives as we engage in his sovereign purposes. Friends, I'm no fan of self-esteem. I'm no fan of self-help books. I'm no fan of the Dr. Phil and Oprah philosophies of, hey, if then, do this, health, wealth, prosperity, blab it and grab it, name it and claim it, whatever we want to call it. But let me tell you this, this is the truth of God's word, that if we anchor our heart and our mind and our soul on the realities that God has created us in the manner and the likeness of himself and that he's given us distinct purposes to live for his glory despite what you may think you can or can't do, despite how special or insignificant you might think you, be, you might be, God has a plan for your life and he wants to use you for his glory this morning. Let that, let that encourage you. Let that, be, let that infuse you with hope this morning to get through tomorrow, to get through the next day, to get through that trial, to get through that circumstance. And instead of saying, woe is me, or shaking a fist at God and, and screaming, why is this happening? How about we go to James chapter one and we consider, we can count it all joy when we fall into various kinds of trials. Why don't we run to Genesis chapter number one and say, God, you created all things certainly. You know and care for your creation, mankind. Let me trust you. Let me walk by faith despite what my heart and my circumstances are saying around me. I hope you're encouraged this morning to consider God's most special creation, mankind, on the sixth day. Let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you this morning that you are God, that you are good, that you're on your throne. Father, these truths are so easily crowded out of our mind. They're so easily overshadowed with just the cares of this world. And so my prayer, my desire this morning is that we would truly grasp and understand and take hold of these realities that God has created mankind in his image and likeness, the Imago Dei, his image bears. And as his image bears, Father, we have a, a, a deeper level of stewardship that's required of us. Not only just image bearers, but, but saved image bearers. Your chosen, beloved children that we've learned about recently in Ephesians, I pray that we would just radically walk by faith. We would radically pursue the purposes that you have for us in this world, not for our glory, but for yours alone. We ask all these things in your name. Amen.